0: You're listening to Why Try, the podcast. Polly Campbell is the author of three books, most recently, How to Live an Awesome Life, How to Live Well, Do Good, Be Happy. She offers a lot of insights about how we can change our thinking to become happier, more fulfilled people. And I think she has a lot to offer. I hope you'll enjoy our conversation.
1: My name is Polly Campbell and I'm an author and writer. And I guess there's a distinction. Basically, I make books and I write magazine articles. And I'm also a speaker. I, I uh, train and work with groups and keynotes and workshops. People that want to uplift their lives and, and think about ways that they can uh, use the brain and their body to create the experience they want and, rather than complaining about the experience they have. So uh, my last book was, is called How to Live an Awesome Life. I'm now you know, working with people about the things there and, and writing magazine articles.
0: Like kind of a pun there, right? Because it's it's not just awesome ethic, it's having a sense of awe. Can you, you, want, you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Right. You know, it, it is. And, and that's where the idea for the book came from, because there are things we can attract and bring into our lives deliberately. And when we do that, our physiology changes, we feel better, we have less stress, we're more interactive and connective, we have better relationships. And That physiology, those physical qualities then inspire us to create uh, situations in our life that we want. And awe is part of that. Awe is a powerful emotion. When we put ourselves in an environment to experience awe, it actually uh, makes us more generous. It lowers our heart rate and blood pressure. It eases stress, makes us more mindful in the moment. So not only do do you feel physically better, but you're inspired to to go out and do good things in your own life and in the world.
0: So, what got you personally interested in this area?
1: You know, I'm interested in how we can uh, use our brain power to really create our experience. But I, th- I think for me, it started early, early on. When I was three years old, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, and um, my body just didn't work like other kids. You know, and it- it's a it's a hard it's hard to live with a chronic illness. But it was hard for a little kid who didn't want to be different at all. And so a lot of times other kids were going out on recess and so forth and I couldn't always do those things. So I was sent to the library and when I was in the library, the, there was a great librarian, Mrs. Ward, who always just seemed to have the book I needed laying around. And I read a lot of biographies, so I, I read about people uh, who were successful at the time, Chris Everett d- during my day was a, you know, a successful tennis player. and, and People that had adversity in their lives, physical and, and with their parents and families and financial adversity, but still they overcame to achieve fantastic things in their careers. People that we, we all knew about. And I was curious about that. If they had things not working right for them and yet they managed to go on and create these experiences. how? Could I do that and how could other people do that so I became really interested in this notion that I my body might not work the same but my brain does and there are other parts of my experience that I could cultivate and create to really do what I wanted to do in life I learned resilience I think by reading about other people who were resilient
0: something you seem to spend a lot of time writing and thinking about is helping people not be as hard on themselves
1: I think for women in particular, but I think in, in our culture and our generation, uh, we have been taught that it's about getting stuff done and being productive and, and you know, not aging and not getting too fat or too thin and, and not being. There's, there's this culture of if you just do one more thing, then you'll be good enough. I don't believe that. And, and I'm, I can't do that. So I want to be good enough now. I want to have the best relationships I can have right now and and the best health I can have right now. And and I know that's different from yesterday and it might change again tomorrow, but I think when we start embracing all that we are, including our flaws and imperfections, then we don't have to be afraid anymore. Then we put all this energy, all our talents and abilities that we do have into creating uh, a better world, a better experience for ourselves, a better experience for our families. It takes a lot of energy when you feel not good enough to try to feel better and I don't have the energy. So I really want and I teach people this and I believe this to accept where we are now and then work on learning and exploring and improving the areas you want but because it's what makes your life interesting not because somebody has told you you're not good enough. And I, I think there's a difference when, when I can sit here and say, you know, I'm not the best writer in the world, but I love it and I worked harder I work harder than everyone else. Then I feel I can feel confident where I am now and work toward improvement rather than sitting back and saying, Well, I'm not good enough and I have to do all these things before I'm a good writer. That keeps you stuck. You'll never create anything that way. And I think We are human beings, it's in our nature to be expansive and creative. And we cannot limit ourselves with this idea that we have to be different than we are right now to do that. I think we have all we need right now. And I think some of the things we judge ourselves harshly on are actually uh, are unique qualities that can carry us and and our authenticity and and, uh, inspire others.
0: Where do you think is a good place for people to start with that process?
1: Well, I think we need to sit back and take a deep breath and and look at um, what we like about ourselves and, and our lives and maybe what we don't like so much, but not because your mom told you it's not good enough or your husband, or but because it's not creating the experience you want to create. I think there's a difference, for example, between Losing weight because your husband doesn't think you're attractive and losing weight for you because you want to be healthier. And so often we're racing to meet this expectation of other people. So I think the first thing is sit back and see what's working and and what's not working. The things that are working are usually supported by a belief system that keeps you working towards those. The things that aren't working are supported by the same. And often the belief system that keep us stuck are the things that other people have put on top of us. So um, I think the first thing is to sit back and say, what's what's not working for you and, and why is that is that something you think you're not smart enough to go for the promotion or is that something somebody told you 20 years ago that you adopted as your own truth and if that's the case then settle down and start uh, you know adopt a growth mindset and look at the things that you can learn the people you can pull into your life that will help you change that belief I think it starts with self-awareness and I also think you know goodness. We need to have more fun <laughs> we need to be around the people that make us feel good and, and being out in the places you know going out in nature and doing the things that make us feel physically healthy and, and remind us that we are um, we are both significant and insignificant all at the same time it 's not our responsibility to keep the earth in orbit and when we can relax a little bit on our, what we expect from ourselves and what we demand of ourselves, then life opens up and we can say, ah, oh, I'm not great at this, but I'm good enough. And good enough can lead to a great life.
0: Yeah. It's definitely something. Well, I've noticed putting together this podcast, at least like my initial thought wasn't this thing's going to be amazing from the get go. I was like, no, it's going to be terrible for like many episodes, <laughs> like many but I'm gonna be okay with that because I'm, you know, I've never done this before. Which can't be good on the first try, and but it'll be, you know, good enough. I put together a logo that a friend called delightfully half-assed. That's generally kind of been my here, like I yeah, just keep getting stuff done. Keep, and uh, the amount that I've learned has really grown, and I've I've kept pushing that boundary further and further out of like what I can do to push myself. And it, yeah, it's just it's led to such positive growth in my own life to say like yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's, that's what well, we should do for and I think,
1: it. you know, there, we know a lot now about fixed mindset versus growth mindset. And a fixed mindset is you believe that What you have is what you have. That's all you've got. If you were born smart, then you're one of the lucky ones. You're smart. You can't get any smarter. If you're dumb, you're out of luck. And what we know now is with neuroplasticity, our brain is actually physically growing and creating new neural pathways so we can constantly learn throughout our lives. And when when people do what you're doing and adopt that mentality, which is, I don't know, I don't know much about this, so I'm going to learn, I'm gonna enjoy the process, I'm gonna figure it out, I'm gonna pull the resources and people in that I need to keep learning, then it doesn't become about a failure, it becomes about information in. So maybe the early ones aren't as good as they are now, but that was just information. With that information, then you grew the next, and we can do this all in our lives. I think the difference is, are you, if you fail at something, does that make you a failure? Or if you fail at something, is that just information you can use to grow into, to improve it, to grow into the next thing? And when we adopt, and this is a choice, by the way, when you adopt a growth mindset, to say, oh, wow, that didn't give me the outcome I wanted, but I can learn from that and go, your life opens up. You feel more satisfied, you're healthier, you're more creative, good things happen.
0: So how do you keep from focusing on the things that aren't good enough?
1: well, there's a lot. I mean, and, and you can look outside of yourself, too, and what's going on in the political landscape and the world and, and the natural disasters. And, and and me, myself, there are things I want to get better at and, and improve on. And I think it starts by just kind of fussing about that a little bit. I think it's okay to recognize and feel disappointed and feel... Uh, unhappy I'm frustrated. I think that's all part of it. This isn't like a, a magic pill where you do this stuff and you feel better instantly or ever. It's about recognizing that in the contrast there is information that you can use. So on the days when I'm really frustrated or I'm not getting the results I want with my writing, I throw a fit. I'll throw my head down on the desk or I'll complain or I'll, I'll sue or pout for a little bit. For a little while and then I get curious again so curiosity is kind of my ace in the hole it's it's a way out of that upset and what we know psychologically is when you are feeling big emotion whatever it is if you can sit back and identify it and actually label what you're feeling um, give it a vocabulary then it allows you to move through it easier otherwise you can get stuck in that big emotion so in my upset I do that for a while, a day, or 15 minutes, or whatever it is. And that's like, what am I really feeling? Am I feeling afraid instead of angry? Is, is my anger really a product of the hurt I'm feeling? And once I have a label for that, I can go and I can deal with that, and then I'm free, because the very next step for me is like, huh, Wonder why that happened. Wonder why I feel that. When I began to ask the question, my curiosity is the driving force to just a little bit better and just a little bit better. You know, I I don't think we need to expect to go from depression to happiness in five minutes. That's not what life is about. But we can go from depressed to boredom. We can go from sadness to curiosity. We can move in increments. And if I just feel a little bit better in the next moment, then I'm going to do a little bit better. And that's going to carry me on to the next moment and the next moment. And by the end of your life, all these little moments that were just a little bit better make up to be a pretty good big life. You know, I think it's a mistake to think, well, five years from now, I don't know what's going to you know, let's deal with five minutes from now. Let's make this moment all that it can be and deal with where you are right now and, and it can set up for success.
0: It seems like mindfulness is such a big part of that. And it seems like it's gaining so much in popularity.
1: I know. Is that? Do you think that's, that's valid? Is that accurate? It is. It's become kind of a buzzword.
0: It has. Oh, I mean, I hear ads all the time for uh, apps like Headspace yeah. or... Um, There's a ton of meditation podcasts and YouTube videos and maybe everything's just exploding because there's all this new content that's always being created. But it seems like there's a growing awareness of mindfulness and the impact it can have for people.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think um, we know from research that it's really powerful, mindful meditation in particular. Um, and, And with that, you need to really put the time in, you know, 20 minutes to a half hour to an hour. And I do meditate and I think that's valuable. But My spiritual practice is really very practical. I'm raising a daughter, I'm married, I'm working full time. I need to have uh, things that I can use right now in the middle of my freak out or in the middle of a kid's tantrum or when I'm paying the bills to help me make it through that moment. And mindfulness is that for me. But when I talk about it, it's not quite so technical for me my mindfulness practice is actually stopping and just re-grounding myself it's about getting quiet for 30 seconds or for an hour or for five minutes or whatever it is for you not responding to the phone not listening to music it's about being quiet and noticing what's in my environment and noticing the thoughts in my brain without judgment without commentary without opinion And the way it has helped me is it's taken me out of those moments of high stress when I'm reactive, and it's put me back into a place of responsiveness. So when I'm reactive, I'm acting emotionally without any thought, and I'm creating more problems sometimes. You know, if my husband hurts my feelings, and I react, and I'm getting defensive and angry at him, and then we spiral, if I can stop in that moment and say, take a deep breath, what really did he just say? because a lot of what we react to is our commentary about it. What am I doing now? Well, I feel my feet on the floor. I feel my body on the chair. What is that feel? Then I'm taken out of that uh, reactive moment and I'm put in a more responsive mode. And I actually have a chime on my phone and it goes off every hour to remind me, I have to put this stuff in my planner. You know, I don't, This is not a natural habit for me. So I do reminders to remind myself every hour just to take a deep breath, sit back in my chair or stand up and take note of of the feeling in my body, what's going on around me and, and just be quiet so that I can regroup and rebalance and reground myself to whatever's going on in the world.
0: I mean, this seems incredibly healthy.
1: I'll tell you what, I feel a lot better. You know, I don't know how I'd show up in a study or whatever like that, but I feel a lot better. And I feel like I have a lot more clarity going forward in my day. Um, instead of just putting out one fire after the other and getting caught up in all that's on my to-do list, there's there's a moment of like, oh yeah, okay. I, I still am here. I still am in this moment. And in this moment, it's okay.
0: Uh, can I ask you a little bit about your work as a writer and author? What made you pre- start pursuing that? and like how long ago did you start pursuing yeah, that
1: you know i'm not a this is a always an interesting question for me it, i don't remember making a decision i've always been i've done different kinds of writing i've was a, a journalist i wrote in for a pr firm um, and then about 20 years ago now i began i started my own and began writing magazine articles on books and uh, the book actually the first book came out i think like six years ago now um five years ago, I guess. And so it's been a process, but I wrote my first newspaper when I was in the second grade. I just came knowing that this was, was the deal. And with writing, there are many, you know, I've done all kinds, I've done corporate writing and there's, there's a variety of things you can write. But it's been in the last uh, 20 years that I've been on my own with magazines and, and books.
0: So how did you get start? Like, did you just start sending work out to all, all the magazines?
1: Hustled, you know, when I became, when I got out of college, I studied journalism and I went to work for, uh, some small area weekly newspapers and I loved that job. Um, but it was difficult to, I was single and it was difficult to make a living. And so then I went into public relations, it paid better, it wasn't for me. Um, and so I I literally walked away from that job when I was 27 years old, just to see what would happen. Um, and then it was a hustle. You know, you, in those days, it was just the very beginning of the internet, but nobody was really doing anything on the internet. Um, and you sent out, uh, story proposals on paper and envelopes and they call it query letters and you research the magazine you come up with the idea you tell them why you're the person to write the idea you send it out you wait for six weeks for their rejection most most often in the beginning and and then you either get the assignment or you don't but it's a constant because each of those articles and in those days they paid more um but you only get it like one or two months and, and then it's waived. Then, then you write the article, it, it doesn't publish for six months, um, and you, you don't get paid sometimes until it publishes. So creating uh, a balance sheet and a bottom line to survive. So when I started freelancing for magazines, I, I was also doing corporate writing at the same time because that would be more of an immediate paycheck. And I got a break, a person that I met at a conference needed a one-off article for the Oregonian at the time um, and was in a bind and she called me. And I did it and she liked what she saw. So they gave me some regular work as a contract writer for them. And I got a break in family circle and you know, slowly, slowly. Uh, now it's, it's changed a little bit. The hustle is the same. There's more outlets, um, but there's fewer, they pay a lot less. So you, you really have to do more riding, but it helps to have the experience under my belt because I work for a lot of the same people now and I do have the clips and and I'm established, but it it took me a long time and it was just, I was determined, I worked really hard and I didn't give up. And um, I don't think I have any great talent, you know? but I work really hard. So it's like we were talking the growth mindset, the, the first stuff I was sending out was really bad and I was getting a lot of rejections and I should have been getting them. So instead of quitting, which is what a lot of people did, I was like, okay, I gotta make this better. I gotta take what they're saying. I, I got a mentor and I, I, you know, I, I brought the people into my life that could really help me and teach me. And uh, I'm grateful that they, they did that.
0: How many articles would you be sending out in a month or to how many different people?
1: In the, yeah, now it's, it's a little different, but each one then with a letter and you send a mail, you know, I would send out, um, I try to send out like four a week, four or five a week. So, um, when I was doing a lot of corporate writing that took a lot of time, so it depended, but I would have at least six ideas out a month, no matter that would be a low month. And, you know, maybe I'd sell one and as time got on, I'd sell two, or, you know, What would um, they pay per, wh- what an an article the
0: pay? at the time?
1: they they often paid for word by word and when i was starting i'd be a you know 25 cents to 50 cents a word but the articles were a thousand words at that point um when i worked for family circle which was fairly on in my career i i hit them up fairly on a lot of people who are experienced were experiencing this at the time would tell me aim low start at the small market because they're always looking for more people I, i i didn't do that I started at the top. I figured I needed to get comfortable with rejection, and if one of the big magazines says no, okay, I'll just move on. And I did that, and very early on, I got a job with Family Circle, and they paid me um, $1,500 for a 1,500 word article, and that was huge money. And now, um, magazines like that, the ones that are still in business, will we'll sometimes still pay a dollar a word, but, but many of the magazines now pay 50 cents a word or $400 a, an article. You know, one publication I worked with uh, 10 years ago paid me $1,000 for an article, and, and this year they offered 300 for the same kind of article because uh, things are happening so quickly. They want it out online. They want, you know, it, the dynamic of publishing has really changed a lot.
0: Do they own the content after they?
1: It depends. A lot of them do now. You sell your rights. So as a magazine writer uh, in print, they would say one time rights, which meant it was one time for this article. Um, and I owned you know, the research and so forth, and I could go ahead and, and rewrite and, and publish parts of that in other places. Now almost always it's all rights and they will put it out on digital. Sometimes I write a digital article and a print article um, for the same place. Um, sometimes uh, it's only a digital article. Um, like you mentioned Headspace, I write for Headspace and, and then when I write for them, they will, they will pay uh, a one-time thing, but they'll, it, it stays on the internet for as long as they want it on the internet. The Internet's really changed a lot of things, and not all of them are favorable, but I have to say, if you're a new writer, um, there are lots of places to publish. You can There are lots of places that also want you to publish for free, which is an interesting dynamic, but but uh, there are lots of opportunities now to get your stuff before the people and, and still make money if it's good enough. You need to do the work. It's a craft. It, it's not, you know, I wouldn't go cut my hair uh, after reading a book about it. I practice and, and do things like any other profession. And and if you uh, work hard enough and, and you have uh, a compelling idea and you can write it well, you're going to get a job.
0: Yeah, what would you be doing if you had to start over today?
1: Mm. Well, I like to, um, I, I I think you need to look at what's, why you're writing? I think people enter the profession for the wrong reasons, and they see the Stephen Kings of the world and think, "Oh, this—you know—I'm going to hit it big." Um, I know, you know, hundreds, thousands of writers, and many of them are making good living, but none of them are hitting it big. None of them are bestsellers. And even when you are a bestseller, you know, you make cents on the dollar. When I sell a book for sixteen dollars, I make about a dollar fifty from that. Per book, you have to sell a lot of books. So if you're a best-selling writer, and that means you're selling, you're on one of the lists, and that means you're selling about a hundred thousand books to get on one of the lists. Um, it's still, when you think of five years of your life going into that book, not not huge money, you know. If I were doing it today, I, I can't imagine not being a writer. But I would be, I would be open. Uh, to this notion that it, it's my responsibility to craft the profession. And I would reach out to as many people as I can. You know, I would, I would find the places that I read and that I, I, I like to, to read and have good quality stuff. And I would facilitate the relationships right now. When you get a rejection, you go back immediately with another idea. And in the meantime, behind the scenes, start getting better and taking classes and write, write, write and read, read, read. Um, I don't think people pay enough attention to the relationship part of it and and that's still part of it i work with people all over the world i've never met most of them but i talk to them every month or every couple of weeks by email or by phone and just check in and keep in mind that when you send an article to a magazine or a blog or whatever it is they're your client so be open to editing you know i never have a problem if somebody if an editor comes back and says hey This, I I need to see this a little different. I need to, I want this. That in most cases makes me look better, makes me a better writer. A good editor makes my work so much better. But they know who the target market client is for their magazine much better than I will. You should have an idea who you're writing for, but they know it better than me. So if they're saying this won't work, trust them. Don't fall in love with your writing. If you are writing to publish, that is your client and it is your job. If you want to write because you have beautiful prose and that's why, you, then do that for yourself. You know, there's all kinds of ways to write. I, I write my own stuff too, but if I want to publish and I've decided I want to publish in this magazine or publication, then my responsibility is to give them something they can use for their audience.
0: Has the experience of becoming a professional writer changed the way you look at life or money and happiness?
1: Yeah, you know, I think I've never not been a writer And I think probably um, that's why I've lived my life like I have, because one of the things that was really interesting to me early on was I just seemed to notice things that other people didn't notice. Um, And I was just curious about the random weirdo thing. Like I wanted to know how things work. And being a writer has given me permission to ask people who are much, much smarter than me, they am in, in polite question. You know, I want to know how much they're making. I want to know why they started this field of research. I want to know what their worst day on the job was and what their best day on the job was. And I want to talk to them about what they care about um, because that's interesting to me. So I think uh, I think I always had that writer's mind, and I that's probably why I can't do anything else because I haven't found a way to work that <laughs> into the rest of my life yet. Um, but I think, I think I'm also really idealistic. I think we have a responsibility to the world. I think writing is part of it and art and, and theater and music and cor- conscious corporations and schools. I think we have a responsibility to create an environment where everyone can have access to the information they need to live a better life. And I think books are, are really and the internet are really important ways of doing it and i don't want to waste people's time i think it's too important right now and so i think writing i think my decision to write the kind of stuff i write has been influenced by the way i live my life
0: sounds like you find a real sense of purpose in that Um, do you have advice for other people like in terms of helping them identify a sense of purpose in their lives
1: I think, purpose is, uh, I think purpose is a buzzword too, and I think we've made it so hard. I, I don't think it matters if you identify your sense of purpose, I don't. I think we have thought that it matters, and I think we wanna know that thing because we like to have a framework for what we're we doing. We want
0: a hard answer for a soft question.
1: Yeah, we want hard answers. We wanna know so we can do that thing, and that's gonna make us feel better or more successful. But I think most people are already living their purpose. I think um, it shows up when you look at the patterns of your life. Like I have a friend who's a teacher and she's going to be retiring. And she's like, well, what's my purpose if I'm not teaching? Well, she's got grandkids and she's got younger friends like me who she, who she teaches just by being friends she has a wisdom of the world that i i don't have in the same way and she volunteers and so she is constantly in the world and in the way she engages with these people she comes in contact with she's always teaching so look at the patterns of your life and and look at what you're doing when you feel at your best that doesn't mean it's easy writing is certainly not an easy thing and and uh it's not necessarily my purpose but communicating and reaching people and inspiring people i think is my purpose and writing is one way i do that and it's the way that makes me feel engaged right now but if one day um i don't like writing anymore or i can't do it for some reason or i decide not to do it that doesn't mean my purpose is washed up it's mean i'm expressing it in the way I connect with people in in different ways and hopefully continue to inspire them in different ways. So I think if you need to know what it is that, that your purpose is, look at what makes you feel alive, look at what you're doing, look at the patterns of the things that even when you had that awful job that you hated, that you were doing on the job. For example, when I was in public relations, I was not well suited to that. I wasn't good at it, I didn't like it and I was still writing. It was a different kind of writing, but it was in the moments when I connected with the client and really got inspired by what they were doing that I feel like I was living my purpose because then I could create an environment for them to tell their story, and that was meaningful to me. So I suspect you're already living your purpose. It's gonna look different. In a tangible way, it's gonna look different all throughout your life, but it doesn't mean that your purpose is gone. It just means you're expressing it in different ways.
0: Okay, so it's kind of a different area. Yeah. But, um, we were talking about it earlier before I, I got hit record. Um, what are your thoughts on, like, what amount of money is enough? Yeah. How do, what are some of like, the traps people fall into when they think about that?
1: Money is an interesting topic for a writer because you're told your whole life that you're not going to make any money. It's a labor of love. And I don't necessarily believe that either. I know a lot of writers who make... a a living and by a living I mean enough to pay their bills and do the things that they want to do in their life. But I think that question of enough catches us up, you know. We think we're going to get to some place, we're going to have some bottom line that is just going to make all the problems go away. I don't think that. I think you live your life on purpose and you, um, you invest in the process of creating your own experience and I think when you're doing that and you're working hard and you're putting the effort out there then outcomes. Uh, you know, there will be certain outcomes and some of them can be money. So if I'm writing the book I want to write and it becomes a bestseller and makes me millions of dollars, I'm taking the millions of dollars and I have no problem with that because I think money allows us to create uh, better outcomes for other people, including ourselves. I think we can do a lot of things. It's, we can we can improve the conditions for a lot of people with money. So I don't think we ever need to feel bad about having it. However. I think it's possible to get in a cycle where we don't even realize that when we have enough. And I think for me, it's been really an important part of my growth to sit back and say, okay, what would I do differently if I, if I did win the lottery or had a bus sell, which is about the same thing? Or, you know, what would I do differently? Because I do have enough. And that doesn't mean um, that I can buy whatever I want but I don't want to buy everything. And, and that doesn't mean that I never have to think about it when I pay my bills. We do, we are careful with our budget. And I have a comfortable home and I have plenty of food and I have some to give away to the things that are important to me. And I, my daughter has clothes to wear. And so when I really, uh, when I recognized that um, I was meeting that goal, um, You know, like a dinner is as good as a feast. If you're hungry and you have a dinner, that fills you up. If you have a feast when you're hungry, there's only so much you can eat, right? So um, for me, part of my growing up was really to sit back and say, okay, and I have enough right now. I'm going to be grateful for that. I'm going to continue putting the effort out there and being wise with my my management. But I'm going to I'm going to stop waiting and stop asking and stop wishing because wishing is not real life, right? My my effort and uh, enjoying my process and connecting with the people and the things that matter to me that that's real life. And when I settled down and started doing that, um, more money came my way.
0: I was like, the universe is telling you, like, okay, you're ready for this now. You-
1: it, it kind of was an opening, Nicholas. You know, it was kind of like that. I, I think there are people that uh, writers, in particular, who they want to write a book because they want to have that bestseller for a lot of reasons. They want fame or whatever it is, and so they try to uh, tag that book into what's popular in the market right now. They try to fit it in instead of just doing the work. And I think in any business and in any life, it's about. The process, you know, we're all going to end up in the same place, and that is dead. And whatever happens after that is is up to you and your beliefs and and so forth. But we're all going to end up in the same place. So what are we working toward? For me, life is in the living, and that looks different every day. But but knowing what my values are is is a way to create sustainable happiness for me and and living close to those values. And my values for, around money right now are are enough, and when I have enough, then my values are around making sure that other people have enough food and clothing and and doing the things. Uh, you know, the world can look like a hopeless place right now. But if anything, um, right now the need is illuminated for us in a greater way. And I do know that one person can make a difference. You know, you can run a casserole down the street to the neighbor who, who is feeling grief or feeling lonely or doesn't have enough and change their day and change the way they think about their entire life. And, and that might be enough to pull them out to the next place and carry forward. So. In this, in this time that feels so hopeless, to me it's just an opportunity. It's illuminating the need and how powerful we are, are as individuals. And, and it's our time. And so uh, that money question is an interesting one. If I had more, I'd, I'd do more with it, certainly. But I don't have the energy to sit around and worry about that. I've got to work with what I have and make the most out of that now.
0: Do you think you would ever retire from your work?
1: Well, yesterday yes, today no. I, I, you know, I, the way I'm doing my work now, um, it's it's taxing, it's exhausting. However, no, I don't. I don't think it's something that I chose. I don't think. I think it's something that I am. But uh, always writing the next magazine article or um, doing the the volume of material I'm doing now that may change. But you know. I, I am a writer, and and I, I completely identify with that as a way of processing my world. I think I write because it helps me learn what I need to know. It helps me process my own experience and uh, um, maybe gain some wisdom in a way that I can translate for other people. So hopefully they feel better. And so, I I think it's a, a I think it's innate and it's a lifestyle for me. So no, I probably never stop writing, but. But you know, in 20 years that I've been doing it, uh, as a career, it's changed a lot. How we write has changed a lot. And so um, will it always look like this? Probably not. Um, And yeah, it's nice to have some days off. I look forward to a time when I'm, when when I have more time to develop uh, the crazy idea as opposed to meeting deadlines and so forth that's that's a a tricky one now I think I'll you know I go on vacation I'm a writer I and I I take time off over the holidays and I'm still thinking of the next idea because something will come into my life and I'll be like huh that's interesting what does that mean and it it cycles into the next thing where pretty soon I got to go find out what that means and, and that's the story
0: how many hours a week do you typically put in now? Oh, has that changed over time?
1: It has changed over time. When I was younger and starting, I worked all the time. Um, part of it was because that's just, I was crazy and, and curious and scared and starting a new business is hard as a writer. Um, now I have a daughter, uh, so I totally set my schedule around her schedule. When she's home from school, I want to be available, and that's a choice. Um, I also am in a two-income family, which hasn't always been the case. So um, that has allowed me a little more flexibility. Um, I'm older, I, I don't take every job. I used to take every job because I was trying to be uh, known in the industry so other people would hire me. Now people know me, I'm a little more established. So the amount of, uh, the hustle has changed. Um, but the, the, the nature of the writing uh, is also different. Like I would say I also don't spend as much time actually writing because there's so much more, so many more demands on a writer. So when you have a book come out, then you have a lot of responsibility to promote that book and to do social media and to do interviews and uh, to be places and so forth. And so that takes the time right from writing. Right now I'm in a process where I'm, I'm leaving days open that I call deep work days and it's just time to do the writing. And, and I don't know what that writing is and that's not for magazines or anything, but it's de- to develop the ideas to see if they have legs for a book or for the next thing. And that requires space and time. And when I can, I'll leave a day open just for that.
0: Now is probably like as good a time as any. Do you want to like give yourself a plug for the work, share some of the buy work you're doing? my
1: book. Yes, um, you can find me on my Facebook page, which is Polly Campbell, author speaker, and there, there's information there. Um, I'd love it if people wanted to go out and buy How to Live an Awesome Life, which is my most recent book. You can get it uh, any bookstore on uh, on Amazon. It's out there. Um, You can link to my work by searching Polly Campbell online. My website, which isn't updated right now, but you can get clips of my work and links to my books is imperfectspirituality.com.
0: Well, thanks for taking the time to talk today. I had a good time. Thank you
1: for having me.
0: You can find Polly and her book, How to Live an Awesome Life, on her Facebook page, Polly Campbell, author, speaker, as well as imperfectspirituality.com and on Amazon. And I have links to all of those in the show notes. Music for this podcast is by Cambrian Explosion, whose spacefaring expedition was almost cut short when their guitarist went mad with power and threatened to blow out the entire crew through the airlock. You can find their music on CEPDX.bandcamp.com and on Apple, iTunes, and Spotify. If you like the podcast and don't want to miss future episodes like this one, be sure to subscribe. I'd be grateful also if you could help me grow the YTRI community by sharing this podcast with one friend, as well as by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Finally, you can reach me personally with suggestions, guest ideas, and questions at nicholaspeel at gmail.com or on Ytry's Facebook page. Thanks for listening.